the Mojo Radio Show. We scour the planet to find the biggest names in health, creativity, wellness, strategy, brand, performance, management, and more. Turn this up. This is going to be crazy. This is Jason Overcome Redman. Hey, I'm Dave Acosta. Hi, this is Cal Newport, author of Deep Work. G'day, this is Ryan Park. I'm Batman. This is Ivan Davies from my town. I'm Andrea Burke from the Canadian National Women's Rugby Team. And Lucas Fickendee. This is Tate Fletcher, Kate Spider. This is the Mojo Radio Show. Or I'll be coming to see you. Then we ask them the big questions. Oh, man, this is such a great question. You've actually landed right on the mark. That's a, another really good question. It's great talking to some clever dudes, frankly. I've gone probably a little bit more in-depth with you than, uh, than I have in the book. I've done, like, 500 interviews, but nobody asked me about this. <laughs> oh, wow. And sometimes we talk about darts. There we go. Can I tell you, Dina, Gary's favourite sport is darts. How athletic is that? I think it's uh, interesting that it's your favourite, but I won't be judgmental. (laughs) Look, it's the only sport that I know of where a prerequisite is a pint of beer and a cigarette. Come on, let's be honest. The Mojo Radio Show. We don't take ourselves too seriously. So you try throwing half a dozen darts in a row and just see how you go, Uh, my friend. But we hope you will. Welcome. I got my boat. To the Mojo Radio Show. Hey everybody and welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, a little program designed to get your mojo working in and out of work. Thank you so much for downloading us. We appreciate it loads when we say that. We actually mean it. To all our regulars, thanks for being repeat offenders. It keeps our mojo working, knowing that you are listening. And those that have dropped us a line on iTunes, we really appreciate it. It helps get the word out there. All the gang is in the house. <laughs> but judging by the look of the face of AP, it is the house of pain. <laughs> uh, big weekend, mate. Someone, uh, those idiots in there, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Just put the cans on. Oh, there you are. <laughs> Afternoon, chaps. Uh, I think it's voting. That this, this weekend. Voting? Voting. Oh, voting. <laughs> a big weekend at the polls. A big weekend at the polls. I think we're waiting to see if um, Mayor Peters comes to fruition. Wouldn't that be funny if you had a beer at everybody who came to the polls? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, I think AP was actually at the polling booths on the weekend handing out glasses of red uh, as opposed to how to vote ballots. That is so funny. <laughs> it's probably the only way you'd vote for him, though. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, all right, so that is the dulcet tones of our driver. Time to check your tickets, folks. Some of the big week in the voodoo basement. Have you been, um, it's just interesting, uh, have you been cleaning up, which means either one of two things, either you've got a client coming in to record mm. or your mum's coming, well, coming in. Yeah, What's the story? Well, the, the leopard skin couch got dry cleaned over the weekend. Uh, that was kind of interesting. Um, I actually found about $23 in change down the back of the couch, which was good. <laughs> Plus a few beer bottle tops and amongst other things. And some Mission Corn Chips. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I'm going to blame you for those. Hello, our friends at Mission. Uh, Lola, we have got a very special guest this week. This guy's going to be an absolute cracker. He's a former US Army Ranger. So, Lola, how about a track to get us in the vibe, Lola? What about these? I will always do my duty, no matter what the price. I've counted up the cost. I don't 
know that song. You pulled one out of the fire there, mate. Uh, this guy's a true patriot. He is a leading country singer in the United States of America. He does a lot of trips to visit the troops. He does a lot of shows. As you'll see, if you go onto YouTube and have a look at Toby Keith, he does a lot of shows live for the troops. He's a true patriot. He writes a lot of songs around being of service. I just like the guy, but uh, well done, Lola, for pulling that out of the archive. Absolutely. So is he an ex-serviceman himself, or is he just he just has an interest in it? No, his dad was. Right, okay. Uh, and he wrote a song, as you'll hear in the lyric, he said, um, my daddy served in the army, he lost his right eye, and he flew a flag out on our yard to the day that he died. He wanted my brother, my sister, my mother and me to grow up in a land of the free. Uh, now, this country that I love is falling under attack. A mighty sucker punch came in, inside from somewhere at the back. As soon as we could oh. see Cletus around Big Black Eye, we lit up your world like the 4th of July. Not that I like Toby Keith. I was going to say, not that you've listened to the song much. <laughs> Man, we lit up your world like the 4th of July. The, 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 the Mojo. Mojo Radio Show. Robo, remarkable fact. Remarkable fact. A really quick one this week, but uh, one I didn't know, and I'm hoping no one else did. Sharks are known for their natural resilience to diseases and virus, even cancer they said to have an immunity to. One article even reports that sharks are immune to all viruses known to man. You'd think that researchers would be out there sort of digging around, seeing what they can find that might help us if they're immune to cancer. Mm. So let's kill as many as we can so there's none <laughs> left so we can't do any research. <laughs> Interesting though, isn't it? Yeah, immunity to all viruses known to man. Uh, remarkable fact. Uh, there's a benefit to drinking coffee. Well, I think there's more than one, but yeah, go. Apart from the obvious thing <laughs> of why we drink coffee here in the studio, but caffeine has the ability to improve the insulin sensitivity in your system. And given that, it can significantly lower your risk of developing type 2 diabetes. Right. Does that mean I can eat more Tim Tams? No, it was coffee. <laughs> not, not, the thing, not the thing that goes with it, the coffee, the black stuff. Insulin balances your sugar. Right. Well, yes, that's true, but you'd have to actually with this new coffee cup that I've got here from you for Black Rifle Coffee, some merch that came in the mail, uh, that's a big coffee cup. A few of those, you may balance out your packet and a half of Tim Tams each day. <laughs> Hello, our friends at Tim Tams, Monte Carlo. Which reminds me, Lola, can you order some Tim Tams? Ordering Tim Tams. Coffee is also associated with the reduced risk of heart disease, depression, stroke, cancer, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Uh, and cardiovascular death. So now the other wow. thing is that drinking green tea is also known to produce the same type of thing. So there are loads of benefits to drinking coffee, which is a setup for today's guest. But also what you're hearing now is people drinking coffee, but putting in the added added benefit of drinking a black or with added coconut oil or MCT oil, which is how I have my short macchiato. So there you go. Interesting fact. Can I say I've tried that coconut oil thing? Mm, doesn't work for me. I would I don't say know. don't use coconut oil, use MCT oil because it doesn't have the same taste. So coconut oil can taste your coffee, particularly yeah. if you're drinking it short like me. But if you have MCT oil, that doesn't have a taste and that will give okay. you much better benefits because it's six times the value of coconut oil in medium chain triglycerides, which is MCT. So there you go. Hey, I'm David Koska, international security expert and tactical trainer. After spending time on the Mojo Radio Show, I'll be filing my own report. Matt 
best is a former U.S. Army Ranger. He served with the 2nd Ranger Battalion, the 75th Ranger Regiment. He was deployed five times to Iraq and Afghanistan, four times to Operation Iraqi Freedom, and once to Operation Enduring Freedom as a fire team leader. He spent five years working as a private contractor, which I think was with the CIA. And then in 2012, Matt created his first YouTube video and it's fair to say since then his social media presence has absolutely blown up. Uh, he has more than 3 million subscribers on his YouTube channel. Wow. Now, we're going to talk about that. His clips are very, very good. Just so classic. They're funny. They're to the point, but they sell a message around the mission for one of the companies he's involved with, which is Black Rifle Coffee, which we'll talk about today. I've got to say, as a guy who's worked in marketing and brand, I think Black Rifle Coffee is one of the, how would you say, uh, a, a wonderful case study for a couple of guys who the, the last decade have built, I think, an incredibly successful brand, but just an amazing, amazing way they've put it together. He's also involved in Lead Slinger's Whiskey, uh, Article 15 clothing. He does fantastic merch. And he's also basically, as vice president of Black Rifle Coffee, he runs the place with Evan Hafer, who's also going to be a guest of ours, probably closer to October. He did a feature film called Range 15, was the most successful independent crowd-funded film at the box office in the summer of 2016. Comes from a military family. He's the youngest of six who all serve their country. So that's a very, very impressive resume. Matt Best, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's an honor. I have really been looking forward to speaking with you after reading and or listening to your new book, which I'll get to in a second. But I'm just curious, when somebody walks up to you today and introduces themselves to you and they ask you what you do, how do you like to reply? <laughs> Man, oh, that's hilarious. I literally was on a plane this morning uh, flying back from San Diego <laughs> to Texas and someone goes, so what do you do? And I got completely bogged down. I was like, I, I wrote a book. I, I own a business. I, uh, uh, I, I just go with entrepreneur, to be honest with you, because I think uh, that kind of speaks volumes to everything I've done as far as entertainment and, um, and really everything I do is, you know, selling happiness and a product to people. Um, so I, that's usually what I go with. The book, I'm going to start with the book. Uh, which is about to be released. And I was very privileged and honoured to get an advanced copy of the audio track, which, mate, I loved it. I loved, on so many levels, I loved the book. When, what did you learn about yourself by writing the book, Matt? Was there was it liberating in a way? Did you actually learn stuff about yourself from doing it? That's Man, what a great question. I love this interview already. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that we get caught so much up in just living our day-to-day -day lives and we just kind of go through the actions. And, you know, I'm kind of a go-getter guy where I always try to create something and do something new. Um, but it's kind of interesting to take a pause and look back on everything I've done and really kind of analyze the successes I've had and most importantly, mm. the failures that I've had. And it was a very interesting experience for me to kind of walk through the moments in life that I had a lot of challenge with and a lot of reasons and finding out why I became the man I am today. And I think a book really does that for you, specifically a memoir, because I had to like soul search about myself and understand why I went through certain portions of my life in, in that way. So it was 
it, it was liberating in a sense, but then also very challenging because I had to bring up old feelings that I kind of compartmentalized and, and put away. But in the same sense, working through those in the book was really good for me because it was like, oh, this is why I am today this way. This is why I do this. This is why I do this. And so I, I loved every aspect of it. And it was an absolute challenge, but I love challenges. So I, I'm very thankful for the experience and the opportunity to be able to write something. And it's funny because, as I said to you before we started recording, the book does follow your journey. And it really is interesting because it goes through light and shade. It goes through dark humor. It goes through emotion. It goes through brotherhood. It's just it, it really is a very layered book. And I interviewed a guy called Brian Munsey who does the Better Human Project podcast. And one of the things that he always says is when he's reading a book, he's trying to work out what's the author trying to say. In this new book, what's Matt trying to say? Man, I love these great questions. I would say I'm just trying to figure out myself and each day learn more and more about who I am, what I want to do in this world. And really, you know, my mission statement, if I had to break it down to a cellular level, is to create happiness and, and, and a quality of life in people. And um, I think I've, I've tried that in the veteran community. And each day I've had failures and successes with that. But this is a book about how I got to where I'm at and all of those learnings across the board. So really, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, I'm just a normal dude that has kind of had some very interesting experiences. And with those experiences, I hope to share them with the audience and people have a cool takeaway. Because I think a lot of people, maybe in the military community or even civilian community, have had shared experiences with me. And I hope to bring them a humorous light to how to kind of deal with that and focus on, you know, the quality aspects of life and the happiness that's associated with life rather than the negative stuff. Matt, when you were doing the book and or the audio book, you said you were imagining there were 20 people in front of you and you wanted to basically have a conversation so those 20 people knew that this was Matt's story. You've talked about the fact that it was liberating for you. In your mind, who are those 20 people? Like Who, who were specifically you writing the book for? You know, I, this is not my first take um, at entertainment, you know, I've been around for about seven years doing comedic and satirical videos on the internet, created businesses. And really what I wanted to do is speak to the people that have been receptive to that type of content. So, you know, I get messages here and there and people are very um, kind and, and I'm obviously hateful with their words because I don't, not everybody loves me, but uh, uh, the people that I spoke to that are like, you changed my life. You know, I really wanted to get back to the gym and be a better husband that kind of stuff. Those are the people I want to speak to because they're a listening, learning ear that hopefully my story can provide some sense of value to them. And, and most importantly, it's why I wrote it in a comedic sense. Um, the majority of the book, at least, was I just want people to laugh. You know, life is so short. There's no dress rehearsal. We have one take at this thing. And I, I really just want to provide a little bit of entertainment and laughter to people's life because I don't know what, you know, the gentleman in Wisconsin that bought my book, what he's going through every day. But there might be an opportunity where he gets excited at 8 p.m. to open that book, read it, and laugh and get away from all the stresses in his life and go, maybe it isn't that bad. I can turn around and do exactly what I want to do in my life like this idiot and chase entrepreneurship because I'm not a smart guy, right? I just work. And I want to show that to people like, you can be a dumbass like me, but you just got to put the work in and you can be successful. So, you know, when you, you talk to comedians and they can remember a moment it might have been a dark moment or something happened at school or something happened in their living room and they made someone laugh. And the comedian will go, that was the moment. 
that I knew what I wanted to do. It was helping them deal with the moment or bring happiness to somebody else. Do you consciously remember the moment where you you knew you were the guy who could use humor to not take life too seriously? Yeah, I think that was projected quite a lot when I joined the military. But previously to that, I always considered myself, I say, a a gregarious introvert, meaning like I'm outspoken and I can make a room laugh, but I love to be alone. And as a kid, I was the youngest of six brothers. And, you know, I really never got a word in. I literally just observed and watched. And, you know, I saw some bullying and all that stuff in high school. And I always kind of like used jokes to deal with it. And the older and older I got, especially when I joined the military, I was like the guy, you know, when you're out there at a field problem at two in the morning, you're freezing and it's just terrible. And everybody's so serious. They're like, oh, we've got to get through this. I'm just like, well, at least it's not five degrees colder. And so that was kind of my take <laughs> always like it, it could be worse, guys. And I found, especially during like uh, RIP or RASP, however they want to say it, when I went through selection to become a ranger, I felt the guys that were super, super serious, and I'm not talking professionalism here. I'm talking about like everything has to be a serious tone always failed. And it was always the guys that could like brush the, the, the heavy stuff off their shoulders and laugh a little bit that I really got along with that ended up being some of the best rangers and uh, best like operator guys that I've ever met. So uh, I don't know if that's the answer to your question, but I, I truly believe that a sense of humor is, is the, the best way to live life. Well, you've also, it's not just in the ranges you used it because in the book you talked about your brother who was diagnosed with cancer. And in that section of the book, you you fall back on dark humour as a way to cope, maybe for yourself. And also at the time you were figuring that was a way to help him through that time. And although you were using that sort of dark humour at that moment in the book, when where's the light and shade for that? How did you really feel when you heard your brother has cancer and then you use that to to sort of lighten? I was terrified. Mm. Of course. Like when you, when you find out when you're your best friends and I've always looked up to my two older brothers, Davis and Alan, um, my, my blood brothers, like they're, they've been legends in my eyes. I mean, these were guys that donned a Marine Corps uniform in front of me. And I was like, wow, I want to be like them. So hearing one of them has cancer and he has, you know, essentially a 50% chance to die or live. Um, the only coping mechanism that I unknowingly could figure out as a kid was, it was humor. Like let's poke fun. And admittedly, like in his case, I remember Alan, when people were like pitying with him, he hated it. He was like, don't feel sorry for me. He's like, I'm a man. I got this. And the only thing he was kind of receptive to was humor. And so that's kind of where we really got a massive bond. And, you know, I grew up with him fishing like my parents would let us go out in the mountains for three days when i was 12 years old and just camp together like i mean we, we did everything together and so we that was a special bond between us where we actually kind of got a laugh a little bit about how dark and macabre that that, that situation was and we knew that whether he lived or died we loved each other but might as well enjoy the ride and we'll figure out what this, what happens um at the end of the road there's a term just on that there's a term you use called gallows humor can you explain what that is? Gallows humor. I, I like that term in the sense of just lots and lots of humor. You know, I don't, I, I believe that there's a place in life to always laugh and you obviously have to be a professional and take things serious sometimes. But gallows humor is just to me, let's, let's lighten the situation when no one else can. You know, I think that you probably read that during the, the uh, suicide bomber story, you know, where, mm. I mean, it's, it's a very dark thing and I don't think 
that story told in any other way would be the most serious tone ever. But that's not what me on the ground as a fire team leader in Ranger Battalion felt. I was like, well, I better make my team laugh because all of us almost died twice tonight. Let's uh, let's lighten let's lighten the room, you know. Let's have a little fun and be thankful that we're still alive and we get to go home and Skype our wives or girlfriends or whatever. And if if we just transition from that part into your military background, there's something you talked about which I'm really interested in. You said that if you're in a bad firefight, like that situation where you talked about the gallows humor and that guy being blown up, if you you said you come out of that and there's an adrenaline dump and it takes a hold of you because the action's over and suddenly the adrenaline dump takes over you. He said there's, there's a, a weird anxiety starts to build. How do you deal with the adrenaline dump for you personally and for those around you? So it's all happened and then suddenly the reality of what you saw, what you went through hits and then how, how did you deal with that for you personally and how did you help your brothers next to you deal with that? Great question. I think that that is such a subjective question because I believe that everybody deals with those certain circumstances in immensely different ways. For me personally, I think you got that through the tonality of the book. I got, I started to get addicted to it where I wanted that again because I wanted the story. I wanted to be, I wanted to like almost die. And it was a very bizarre psychology for me that I actually still deal with to this day. You know, like I'll pull up a YouTube video and see guys in Afghanistan. I'm like, I should just quit everything and go join the army again. I'm like, what am I thinking? Um, so for me, it was like, I, I really fell back into, I just wanted more and more and more and more of it. And then I think probably as you get in the, the later parts of the book, you can see where I wouldn't say I was like addicted to war. It sounds kind of like douchey, but it's, I was just, I just wanted to be immersed in it and I didn't care about anything else. And my, I was content on dying overseas. You know, I was like, oh, I'm just going to die here. So might as well do the best stuff I can be the first guy through the door. So my, my guys can get home. Uh, and, and that was my thing. And then I got out of the military, obviously, and that all went away. And so that was really why I think I had such a hard time getting out of the military and, and with all that. It's interesting because that part of the book, I, I took particular notice of it because you talked about the fact that you, you figured you actually were addicted to it. It's really interesting. You said, I think the words were, you're obsessed with the act of war and then you likened it to being a gambling addict or a drug addict or whatever. What, what was it that war gave you that life wasn't? I don't think it's so hard to define. You know, there, there is this uh, profound feeling when you're sitting on the side of a little bird looking at your GPS, knowing you're going to hunt a human that yesterday tried to kill you know, a bunch of Americans and it's up to you as an individual and your team to ensure that they die. Um, and I, you know, and it's really like intense, right. But I think that a lot of people that have served in the military have that understanding of how do I replicate that intensity of a moment? I, I don't know anything else that does that, but I know ways to compensate for it now. And I put that in the book where business and, and, you know, building and, um, a support system and, and laughter and all these other things really get rid of that feeling. Um, but I, I've never ever had something like, you know, looking at a guy in ISR footage with an AK 47 going into a bunker hideout and going, I'm launching on a helicopter to go get in a gunfight with him. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know how you replicate that. And I, and, and I don't mean, I'm not trying to be like a cool guy. I'm just simply saying that euphoric feeling of 
one of us is going to die tonight. I mean, I don't know. You can't replicate that. It's probably just how sports people feel when they're going on the Super Bowl, right? How do you ever replicate, you know, fighting on the 10 the yard line to win the scoring touchdown? I mean, once that, that experience is gone, it's gone forever. Does that stuff still sit deep in your soul, Matt? Because you were there at a very young age, like you were less than 22 years old when you saw and experienced all that, which you, you go into in the book in great depth. In, in a really sort of interesting and colourful way, does that still sit deep in your soul underneath the surface somewhere? Uh, 100%, man, to be honest with you. Um, I don't really talk about it a lot, but yeah, I mean, that and my time as a contractor and stuff, I'm, I'm, I think a part of my heart and my soul will always live with that community. And I think that's why I've tried so diligently with Black Rifle Coffee and everything else that I've been doing to create a support system for people that, you know, might, might think and feel like I do. And so, uh, I think it will always live with me. Um, really, I don't have a great answer for that, but yeah, it will always be a part of me, man. Like, I don't think you can go through that stuff at that age and just be not okay. With it. But at the same sentence, I'm not like, I missed it. I'm depressed about it. It was just an amazing experience and I'm so yeah, thankful yeah. for it. And then I think us as a community and everybody that supports just, you know, contemporary way of life to, to support the men and women that are still serving. And we can't forget about them. They're still a war in Afghanistan. Um, we got we to gotta look out for or the guys and gals that are still serving. And the book talks about the moment when you're in a firefight, you're in a room and two of your buddies are badly injured. And you said it was at that moment where you actually had to take control that you understood what a true brotherhood is all about. And what I'm curious about, I want to sort of segue between that and Black Rifle Coffee, is have you found that same feeling or belief in others outside the military? Because at that moment you said the words you used were, that's where I understood and felt true brotherhood. Have you been able to replicate that same feeling outside the military? I think within reason, yes. You know, I, I, the experience will not be the exactly exactly the same, but it is a, it is a similar uh, experience. So, you know, when we go out and do business deals, and you know, I talk to my business partners, and they're pulling their weight here, and I'm pulling the weight here, and then maybe they screw up something, and I help them, or and then I f something up over here, and then they come help me out. So that brotherhood and just community and looking out for each other is always what I missed about the military, and definitely in that chapter, it was defined that, you know, we're essentially 20 guys on the ground that are, that are fighting people that are inherently conditioned and want to kill us with every cell in their body. And, um, when, when you have some team members fall, it's up to us, even if we're not ready or want to be in a leadership position to overcome that situation and do everything in our power to ensure that we all get out alive or we all get out dead, you know, it's really the way it works. The book then goes into the moment at Arlington Cemetery where you bury two brothers, Brem and Barraza. Yes. And you said that it was then you commit yourself to fuse the memory of these two brothers into your DNA and the words you used were into your heart and actions. What what values do you take from these two heroes? Like what what is fused into the soul of Matt that you take from those two men? You know, I don't, uh, I'll use myself in the third person here. Matt Best as a entertainer and a businessman wouldn't exist without Bremen Barraza. That is the honest truth behind all of it. I mean, uh, Barraza, dude, he was like the coolest dude. He's like 6'2", this fucking giant Mexican, sorry if I cussed your show, big Mexican guy. And he was so awesome, man. He was like, 
he, he would box people in our squad to beat him up, to show them that they weren't tough enough to be like him. He was just such an amazing, amazing human. And I looked up to him so much. And then my team leader, Bram, same way. He, he taught me everything I know about being a Ranger. And so those guys really conditioned me because since I joined at such a young age, conditioned me to be the man that I am. And I took huge parts of their personality and character and applied it to myself. And I didn't really realize that until they had passed because I felt such a void of who I wanted to be without their presence. And so that wasn't necessarily a cognitive thing that I did, but I knew I wanted to be more like them. And and I'm not just saying that like a lot of people do like, Oh, I I lost a friend. Like these guys meant the world to me. And so now living a life that I do now, I always want to have them a part of me and tell their legacy, tell their story. So people know that these guys were like, that is what an American hero is. Like Matt is a nobody like Brevin Braz that were true American heroes and they deserve to be put on a pedestal and, and their story deserves to be told. Is a book part of that for you, Matt? Is a book part of giving people a, a proper insight into the minds of the men and women who are serving in the front lines, what they go through before battle, in battle and following battle? Is that all part of, is this part of the journey for you? Absolutely. I think the way that you read the stories, right? I, I mean, I, I hold nothing back. And I think that war is often romanticized in Hollywood film. And people need a realization of what war really is. And I know there are a lot of good books out there about it, but I just try to tell it in this perspective being, you know, a 21-year-old fire team leader, seeing people, you know, getting in gunfights every single night. Like, I think we have to tell those stories. So when we have politicians and other people that are sending young men and women to go die and fight in combat, we understand the severity and the consequences of those actions. We can't just be like, Oh, they're fighting the war over there. Like, no people are dying and we have to understand what that sacrifice is and what it means to us as a country. Are you the sort of guy that has, I think you're quite a visual guy in terms of the book talks a lot about the things you saw and you get pictures in your mind. Are you, are you a dreamer? Do you always, do you see things in your mind before you create them? Are you the sort of guy who can visualize things and then go make it happen? Uh, absolutely. It's funny. Uh, I did this cool. We always do like executive training at Black Rifle because we're always trying to better ourselves. And I've been through like six courses. They're all okay. And I went through one with this girl, Liz. Uh, it's called like creative, uh, creative problem solving. And they kind of bucket you into four different generalizations of character and personality type. And it's like a clarifier, developer, implementer, and ideator. And I'm sure you know which one I am. I'm an ideator. So <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm always the guy. And it's funny when we had this class and bless her, uh, if you guys are listening and need an executive course, look her up. She's so phenomenal. But she's like, guys like you start with what if. I'm like, oh my God. I literally say that every time someone's in a conversation with me. You know, they're like, Hey Matt, uh, we should do it. We should make a pull out here. I'm like, okay, what if, and then I go into this like crazy <laughs> conception of what I think this should look like. And, but that's, you know, teamwork makes a dream work. And I think that's why the company's done so well. Like we have ideators like Jared Taylor and myself and implementers like Evan Hafer who take those ideas and execute on them. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, man, I, I'm just, I, I live in the stars. I live in, in the, in, in the dream world quite often. I, I can't shut my brain off. So <laughs> And you caught me with like three whiskeys in because I forgot I had an interview today. So I apologize if I'm slurring words. Every- <laughs> <laughs> where's, where's the sweet spot? Because what's curious in the book is that it is light and shade and, and it does go to different aspects of your world and the journey you've been on. And I'm just interested in, you have this lighthearted approach to 
everything you do in life and the book is a good illustration of that. The other side of it is there are moments where you do have to perform and step into the role of a leadership role or getting stuff done. How did you mentally approach that in terms of your roles? Was there a conscious compartmentalization in your mind? Like how, how does Matt understand the, the time for lightheartedness and the time to get stuff done? Great question again. Um, I would say I, I think that's just something you have um, innately per se, which is, you know, you can't make jokes when you're at the high ready chasing down people shooting at you. But in the wake of everything, the objective secure, there's there's a sense of relief. Then then yes. Right. Just like in business, like, you know, there's times to be super serious and which requires leadership and professionalism. But then there's times where you got to let the employees go drink some beer at Wednesday at 12 PM and play top golf. So it's just, it's management, I think. And then that obviously comes with age. I've never had the answer to it. I'm 32. I still don't have the answer to it, but it's consistently being emotionally intelligent, understanding people, how they react and then how to like lead the room to complete the objective that the team set out to do. And that's really all I do in my life is like, Hey, we're a team guys. We all do this together. What's the mission statement. And then like, let's go do it. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm always right. I'm definitely wrong quite often, but at least when you have 10 people putting in of what we think we should do for the objective, we get a better outcome than just one person being a dictator. I'm sorry, this interview can't yeah. go any further without Matt explaining what Top Golf is. Oh, you don't know what Top Golf is? No. What's Top Golf? <laughs> oh, I think it's got to be better think... than darts, that's for sure. <laughs> is there a they're, pole, they're, pole involved? They're either, uh, I don't know if they're a franchising or a corporate owned entity, but they're like this massive. Um, golf thing in here where you literally show up and they have, I don't play golf, so I don't know how to communicate this efficiently, but you get golf balls and you just hit them and you get drunk, you eat food and they have like um, flags that you shoot. Yeah. You just, my wife and I love to go because we just drink beer and eat alcohol. That's so mojo show. Dude, it's awesome. I just pull out the driver and I'm like, babe, I can hit so much farther than you. She's like, well, I hit all the flags. I'm like, Shut up. I went farther. <laughs> that, that's even better than what I imagined. When you said go for a few beers and play top golf, I imagined you sitting in the bar flicking the beer tops across the table or something like that. That's even better than what I imagined. <laughs> no, we always we had our Christmas party last year at Black Rifle for at Top Golf. It was awesome. We're just out there. Why one of the one of the guys broke his club and almost hit me in the head of the iron and I was like, You're good, but you're not gonna get fired over it. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you pass. Nice. Okay, Gary, interview may proceed now. Roger that. <laughs> Has your case, in some some ways, I guess, description of your approach to life is carefree, sometimes dark humor. Has that gotten in your way at times, Matt? Have you have you ever had a hard time taking orders or respecting command? I mean, because you, I guess, it could be misunderstood. But from your own perspective, being in a very disciplinarian um, in the military, where it is about command. Did did, that, did you ever struggle with that? You know, I honestly didn't at all back in Ranger Battalion because I was so young. I will say, if you ask Matt at 32 years old and being an entrepreneur that I am today to be in a governed corporate entity, I would fail horribly. Mm. You know, it's the honest truth. I, I'd be like, shut up. <laughs> You're doing it stupid. Uh, so, I, But that's the entrepreneurial spirit. I think a lot of people can resonate with that in the sense of, they see discrepancies with how things are run, efficiency problems. Like you don't have to be a lean six Sigma black belt to know how to like create efficiency. And, um, 
that's something I love in business as myself is I can make those changes organized with a great team as an entrepreneur, but as a guy this age working for like Nestle or something like I, I would, I would never function because I'm too irreverent. I'm too not carefree, but I'm an ideator, right? I always want to come up with a better solution to what, what exists right now. So, but I didn't have that luckily as a kid. I was like a yes, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, wow. sir. So. You must be a guy who gets bored because if I look at your portfolio of work, <laughs> videos, movies, <laughs> coffee, merch, merch design, now a book, filmmaking, you must be a guy who is, hey, what if? You must get bored. Absolutely. But I think that there's some, there's, there's a good part in that conversation we talked about. I get bored, but I like to see things follow through. So like Black Rifle Coffee is my absolute passion and love in this world. But when you professionalize the company and have amazing people that are operating the day-to-day basis, how do I create more value by implementing my core competency to provide value to the company and the brands associated with it? Hence the book, because I can create another essential sales channel. I can create this awesome understanding of why the company exists and, you know, one of the founders behind it. So yes, I absolutely get bored, but it's never, it's never like do things half-ass and move on to the next one. Mm -hmm. You know, Black Rifle will be here long after I'm dead. Uh, But we have to create value in other ways for the people that support us rather than just here's coffee and here's entertainment. You know, we got to do a couple other things. So how is your work ethic today, Matt? Because you come out of the military, which is very disciplined, mission-focused execution, and suddenly now you're playing in YouTube, book, coffee, merch, use this guy with a great sense of humor doing this work, you get a, a social following. What's your, what's it like for you now? Are, are you a guy that uh, can, what's your work ethic like? Are you focused? Are you disciplined? Do you, do you run to rituals and routines? I get bored easy. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, man, I, I have my routine. You know, I, uh, I'm, I'm like an efficiency guy, which is a lot of people don't know, know that about me is, you know, I, I built a home gym for soul's sake. I didn't want to drive 30 minutes to the gym, 30 minutes back. I thought it was stupid. So no, my, the cool thing about where I'm at in life right now is my passions are my projects and they're my hobbies and they're my business. And so I, it's, it's really easy to work. And you can ask my wife, she's like, you need to stop working, but I don't, I don't really do anything leisurely. I don't the occasional trip to the river or something, but I, I don't like go watch movies and all that stuff. I literally just like to create and I've surrounded myself with so many amazingly talented people like Jared Taylor, Evan Hafer, where when we go get a beer at 7 PM or something, that's work for us because we're talking about content ideas. We're talking about how to build the brand. We're talking about how to bring value to people. And so it really never stops. And I don't know if that's just my, my personality or the position I'm in. I think it's a little bit of both. I just love work. It's so much fun. I love seeing something from script to screen, you know, like we could talk about something on the show and have a funny idea. And then it blows away with a win. I'm the guy that wants to grab that out of the air and then put it in paper and say for the next, you know, hundred years, someone can watch this funny skit that we had during this freaking show. And, and that, that's what I, I just love to do. But it's not work for you, is it? That's the thing. It's actually not work. It's just you doing stuff that's your passion, you're interested in, you're having fun with. So it's not really work at all. No, not at all. And that's like why I try to influence people to go chase their dreams. Because for me, this, 
whole entertainment thing, I was doing it because I loved it. I never set out to be like a YouTube guy or an influencer. I was literally doing it because I loved to do it. And then it became such a passion of mine that I was actually making money off of it. And then finally I was like, man, I can actually quit my government job Mm. and do this full time. And so I hope people chase that dream where it's not going to be an overnight success, but let's just say you love to make leather pouches. You could start off selling to your neighbors, your neighbors turn into your city, your city turns into your state. Like that, that's entrepreneurism. And it's so much fun because then you can study the craft that you love and then provide for your family in the same thing that you love to do, which is just going to make everybody happy. It just, it's a brilliant thing. And I wish more people chased their dreams rather than, you know, sat in the toilet and, and wish like, you can't wish for things, you got to work for them. One thing I wanted to ask you about having seen and listened to a lot of your stuff is you talked about the fact when you, so you spent the the early part of your career, working career in the ranges from what, 17 to 23 years old. And you said at that time, the ranges were your identity. And you hear that a lot. I'm a SEAL. I'm a ranger. I'm special forces. When you got out, eventually you you lose that identity. Now you're a former. How would you describe your identity today? What's the identity of Matt today that is, yes, that was my past. Today my identity is. Is there one you step into? Yeah, again, I think I'd throw it back to the entrepreneur thing. And I think Mm. um, something that comes with that is it's super unfortunate when people live through you know, four to six years of life experience for the rest of their life. It's, you know, how, how exciting is it to go to the bar and hear a guy that talks about the scoring, the, the winning touchdown in this high school football team, you know, like that's a great experience. It's a great story, but like, man, you're 45 years old. And that's kind of been my drive is I'm so thankful for serving in Ranger Battalion. I think it is the best unit out there. Um, but I don't want to like be 45 and talking about like my war stories, right? I want to, I want to keep creating new and fun experiences and living this one chance at life that I have. And I think I try to encompass that in the book where it's not just a military book. We're talking about business, contracting, crazy sex, all this stuff. So you can get just experience life. Like that's all we have. We have this one shot at this crazy thing and like just live the heck out of it, man. I just need to set something up to get your answer on. You said being a visual guy, you said in the early stages of being in the ranges, when you executed and did things, you were Rambo. And you said you took on what Todd Herman, who wrote the book, The Alter Ego Effect, would call it. He said you would you would step into or take on the Rambo alter ego. And we had Jeff Nichols on, who's a, one of the world's great sports physiologists on the show. He's a former SEAL. And he's a very auditory guy. Like, it's all about sound. And he said he'd wake up in the morning and Megadeth would be on his alarm clock. And as soon as he heard that music, it was time to go and train on how to kill bad guys. And his girlfriend would say, oh, Grimm's awake. And he would step into Grimm. And that was his identity back then, his alter ego. Do you have that sort of thing in your world today where you've left Rambo behind perhaps? (laughs) Uh, Do you have an alter ego you ever step into that assist you with the entrepreneurial world or other parts of your world? First, I wouldn't say, you know, I, I make that reference to Rambo thing in the sense of, I think never would I consider myself Rambo. I mean, come on, the guy who's SF guy <laughs> is way more badass than me. <laughs> but, 
you know, I think that there was this realization during some of the stories, especially that one where I wished this my whole life. And then I willed it into what became where you're running and getting shot at. Like, dude, I'm like, I'm, I'm the guy that they, this people tell stories about. And so super thankful for that. And I think sometimes in life you have to not absorb, but kind of realize that you're in a position that you might not want to be in. And, and, and for me, what I mean by that is like, I'm not a public guy. I actually hate interviews. I hate public speaking, but I've realized that as a business person now, an entrepreneur doing that stuff helps people. And I don't really want to do it. If I had my way, to be honest with you, I would run like the branding department of black rifle coffee and I would live in a dark hole and no one would know me. Like that's the honest truth. <laughs> no, that's the honest truth, man. I wouldn't be around. I would, Jared just walked in here. He, he would say the same thing about me. I'd play music and I would hide in a dark room. But I know that, based off of what has happened in my life, I have an opportunity to like influence and help people. And so I have to kind of absorb that role and go out and project myself and hopefully make a difference in people's lives. And I'm not trying to be like a martyr, like, look at me, I do all this great stuff. But literally I like, I, I've, I've learned to be put myself out there more, even though I'm very uncomfortable with it. Um, because I, I, I don't really like, like the spotlight. Like I hate it to be honest with you. <laughs> Is there a character? Which is, which is super conflicting, right? Because I wrote a book and I read YouTube videos. So I know it's super conflicting, but it that's is. the honest truth. It is very conflicting. The, the music yeah, that I get. <laughs> do, you, do you step into a, is there ever a character you draw upon that you admire or think about? Or in some cases, people have an animal. Is there, a, is there, is there an alter ego that you draw upon to get through? Because the, what Todd Herman talked about was that when you want to live in that dark hole, you need sometimes to step into an alter ego to say, well, it's not me, it's not Matt doing it. It's actually this character that you step into. It helps you deal with that camera or deal with the interview or the podcast or whatever. Does that ever, does there ever a character that you can see in your mind that you call upon to get through some of those barriers and take you out of that dark hole? No, I mean, I would say I'm probably like more like a real life Deadpool, you know, like (laughs) self-deprecating drunk fun guy that like wants to make jokes, but then shoot guns and uh, do a little good in this world. So I'd say that's, that's probably the most accurate representation of um, who I am as an entertainer. That is gold. Deadpool gold. Well, I I wrote that at the end of my, my book treatment. I think I said, uh, um, this book is like Captain America meets Deadpool, except one went to business school and one went to therapy or whatever it was. (laughs) Gary identifies more with Batman because he likes running around in tights, but that's another story. (laughs) We all have our superheroes inside us. So I want to just talk about Black Rival (laughs) Coffee because I think the branding, the work you do, the representation is just absolutely brilliant and it's a real credit to to you and the guys. And, and I want to segue by telling the story, which I think, Robbo, you'll appreciate. So Matt finally quits the military and he said he drove to El Paso. He packed a bag of guns and a bag of clothes, <laughs> threw it in the back of his truck and drove 800 miles to Salt Lake City to Black Rifle Coffee. And he said, I left everything behind. It cost me a fortune. I left everything behind, including his girl, and drove to Black Rifle Coffee. Matt, tell me, when you go completely chips in, what was the soundtrack in your mind at that time? What, what, what was the, to make that decision to go, you know what, as Evan would say, I'm all chips in. What was the dialogue in your head at that moment? 
It's probably like, this is my fight song. Take back my life song. <laughs> I thought you might have been channeling Hunter S. Thompson with that story. <laughs> it's classic, isn't it? <laughs> no, um, honestly, you know, uh, when I first started business with Jared, we, we'd, we'd been successful. And I wrote that in the book about, you know, we, we did well, but it, there was always a missing component in all of it, to be honest with you. You know, Jared and I are heavy ideators. We want to create, we want to just be these visionary guys, but we always needed that, that rock and that steady anchor to like progress the business. And I'd had so many failures in business before. I mean, there were successes, but they weren't as good as I wanted them to be. And so when we met Evan, and that was about a year and a half of, you know, when Black Rifle was created and um, through Jared and I and, and Evan, all that stuff, they came to a point where it was a very challenging one. But thankfully, I went through that transition out of the military and I had the opportunity to go, OK, Matt, the only person that can change this right now is you. I can sit down. I can complain. I can say these people aren't pulling their weight. But guess what you can do? You can get in your truck. Jared's going to come with you. You can throw two rucksacks in the back and a couple guns and you can drive the 800 miles to Salt Lake city and you can start a new life and you can be fulfilled and you can be happy. And that's what I did. Jared jumped in my tundra with me and we drove all the way to Salt Lake city. We showed up and with two employees at the time we had a black rifle coffee and we said, Evan, we're here. Let's make an empire. And that's what we did. And we put, you know, we roll up our sleeves, we put our heads down and we just worked and it was the most rewarding thing. And it was terrifying in that time. But man, if I would have stayed in El Paso and kept doing what I was doing, I would, I, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have read a book. I wouldn't be on your, um, your radio show. So, tell me about the mission of Black Rifle Coffee and its absolute soul, the core of it. What's the mission, and how have you, how have you managed to build focus on that mission? Because you've gone from two, three, four guys into a big organization. How have you taken that mission and then? use that to build the company? Well, I think any um, business or, or, or whatever you're doing in life requires a mission statement, you know, and ours is to serve coffee and culture to the people that love America. And I think that there's this lack of um, understanding of sacrifice in America and especially bucketed with this PC culture. And really what we wanted to do was create stuff that we love. Evan loves the best coffee in the world. Evan, let's roast the best coffee in the world. Matt and Jared love to make content that make people laugh, love music. Let's create that. And so really all we did was put those things together and, you know, and, and, and run forward with them. And I think managing that ecosystem and culture of a company as it grows and you have 200 employees is challenging, but that's up to the founders and the executives to maintain that culture and I think we're doing a really good job at it. I mean, the people that are attracted to Black Rifle are some of the most amazing humans ever. I mean, the team that we have, like when I walk into our customer service department and all of them are just like amped about, you know, the content we're putting out and, and they get to see all the donations we're doing to charity and all that stuff. And like, we don't put a lot of it out there. They're just amped. They, they want to show up to work and they're stoked to be there. And it like, it humbles me so much. I'm like, man, this is what I always wanted. I want people to show up and be happy to come to work and have friendships and have relationships. Like that, that's a whole purpose of this crazy thing we call life is to enjoy it. And so if we can build a company around that and be hyper transparent where people vote with their dollar and know that by buying our coffee, these are the things that they're supporting. Well, we're winning, right? Because there's a lot of people that disagree with us, but guess what? They're not buying the coffee. Don't care. Moving on. 
Yeah. How do you do that though? Because I would say that 95% of companies have a mission statement, but for them, for yeah, most it's companies, fake. It's, it's, fake. It's, a, it's, fake. it's a bit like, it's a bit like, peeing in a wetsuit. It makes them feel warm and fuzzy, but no one else cares or knows what's going on. How have you done that? The customer service guys are amped. How can you bring on new people? Like what, what, is, the, what is the special secret sauce that you guys have done that allows you to not just have a mission, but have people living it, believe in it, love it, and want to sacrifice well, for it. I think, I think in part is because we're so outwardly facing with our social media that people have a pretty good representation of what the culture and what the company stands for. And so we attract the right talent. And we, we've, we've had a lot of people that are qualified to work for us that don't want to work for us because they're like, oh, that would ruin my career if I work for a pro Second Amendment company. You know? and, and that's fine. You know, do you. But at the end of the day, we just, we're hyper transparent. And yes, a lot of companies have these mission statements, but those are like corporate, you know, they, they just went and got some organic knit wool to make their wife some freaking stupid hat. Like those, those aren't people that we want to be a part of company. We want hardworking people that show up and just love freedom and love to work. And thankfully, thankfully we have that. Uh, that was the answer you things. wanted. <laughs> no, 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 it is. I, I think actually, I think what's, what's really gold, which I just wrote down on my journal was that you have a mission, which is not just an internal thing, but you represent it through all your socials. So when you go on to look at any material for Black Rifle Coffee, and I've listened to probably four or five hours of you, plus your book, I've listened to probably three or four hours of Evan in the last week or so. And at the core of everything you guys talk about, is the mission for the business. It's about vets doing it properly, representing, helping people understand like it's there. But then we look at all the visuals from the website, the videos you make, the messages you put out there. And then what I like about that is it then attracts the best talent. So when I actually go and look at all your socials and I go to the company, I know what I'm getting into. I know what I'm getting into. And that's that's very rare. I don't know. I could say many companies that visually represent themselves or their mission as outwardly focused. That's a great point. And something that we've done very openly is, you know, I'm the executive vice president, co-founder and chief branding officer, and then Evan as well is a CEO. And so everything essentially that comes out from Black Rifle Coffee has to be channeled through us. And that's how we've managed this is because we don't want people creating the the speaking voice for my brand when they don't fully understand it, right? Like I couldn't be a great advocate of Ranger Battalion as a private that just showed up, just as probably someone that just might show up to the company. But as you get seasoned and understand the brand, really absorb the mission statement and the culture, well, now you can speak for it. And so we take pride in everything for the majority that's going out sifts through us. And so we can go, this is not in brand. We don't, I mean, we've, we've dumped $20,000 productions before because like, dude, you guys, what are you doing here? You know, like that, that does not speak to our audience. That is not why we're here. We're here to make a difference. We're not here to sell, you know, shave a half a point off of the, an operational cost for the sake of, you know, selling our souls. Like it's not going to happen. We're loyal to this cause. It's who we are. And that's what we're going to do. Something you said, if I rewind just a couple of minutes ago, Something you said, which you also talked a lot about in the book, I've heard you talk about, I've heard Evan talk about, is that many people misrepresent what military culture is all about. If you had to define what it is about that you are looking to educate people through your actions, through Black Rifle Coffee, the culture you built, 
what is it about that you'd like people to understand? You know, I can't speak for the, the whole community. Obviously, I can just speak from my individual perspective. But what I would say is, man, veterans are just normal people. We, we signed up to do a job and serve our country. And, and I have this discourse with the current narrative in like Hollywood specifically, where every veteran that comes back is a, is a victim. And, you know, when you write that you're a veteran on your resume, they're like, Oh, he's an at-risk individual. It really frustrates me because mm. we welcome veterans at Black Rifle Coffee because they have such a diverse skill set, and that, you know, they, they come from a, an amazing background. And I just want people to be open that, hey, you served the country, you went over in the GWAT, you were in Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever, Syria. You came back and you're, and you're just a good, solid guy with great experiences that's ready to apply those to the civilian sector. And I really want to break that boundary down. I want to see more veterans be treated like humans and not villainized because of their service and that they carried a gun for a living. And it, it's sad to me, and, and that is my sole mission in life right now is to change that narrative. It's interesting. You, I think if I'm correct, you're a fourth-generation military guy in your family. Is that right? Yeah, if not more, I'd have to look it up, but yeah, yeah. Did you feel any pressure or get any pressure with that legacy when you finally decided to um, to not re-enlist? No, not at all. My, my family didn't influence me really at all to join the military. I mean, um, I consulted my, my brothers and my dad and everything, but no, that was my individual choice. And I, you know, they, my, my family just loves America. And, and to, to quote a Mark Twain quote, my favorite things ever is to be a patriot is to love your country all the time and your government when it deserves it. And that's really how I live my life. Like, Whoever's in, who's ever governing, got it, cool, but the people run, run the power, you know, and I just love it, man. The fact that I'm the stupid idiot kid that can be successful in business and do okay in the military, I think that, uh, that, that story should be told to a lot of other people so they can go chase their dreams and find their sense of happiness. It's funny, that stupid kid, you, you, in, in the book, you describe yourself as a bit nutty. And to do that, I would think it takes a certain amount of self-confidence. Have you kind of had to put your ego aside, Matt, in order to do what you do that's in the, the humor that's inside you? Have have you had to sort of put that aside, you know, and put, a, and put aside on. yourself? I, I, was a, I was a dork, man. I played bass in an emo band called Blind Story. And it was like, I forget one of my songs. It was like a brown paper magazine. It was all about girls and like trying to get laid. And like, yeah, of course. Like you got make, make fun of yourself, man. Like it doesn't have to be serious. Like I look back at like every chapter, I look back at myself two years ago on the content I was doing. I'm like, man, you're an idiot, Matt. And, but that's the, that's the progression of life. Like always do better. Always try to do more better. I love that statement. More better. It's not a real word, but more better. Yeah, it's like have fun yeah, with more it, better. man. More better. More better yeah. is even more better. better. Yeah. Like make fun of yourself. You can't take yourself that serious. Like, come on, man. I was, my first video was champion Facebook problems on YouTube and it's terrible. And I'm like, like in a, in a rack on this stupid little pod and making a silly video and it's authentic, but it's fun. Like just make fun of yourself. It's, it's life's too short to give a crap, man. I read that on Pinterest, by the way. There's a Pinterest book. <laughs> it was a meme. It was a meme on yeah, Facebook, was meme. wasn't it? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. L- L- Life's too short. Live it. <laughs> Wise words from that best. 
I'd like to hear that from some of the Valley girls that are in the uh, in the book. Some of those, uh, yeah, like hot, so, like life like, is like super short. So like that. you totally like freaking have to like live it. It's like the best. Like no, like seriously, the best ever. You know what I want to hear? I want to hear Brown Paper Magazine. That's what I want to hear. I will send, send it to, it to you guys. I actually it, still have the recording. Send it. Oh, would send you? it. We will play it. Can we, we promise, use it in the we show? Will play yeah, it. we play it. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my god. Sure. I guess we didn't have rights back. Sure. I'll, yeah. <laughs> exactly. never been, dude, the, <laughs> yeah. They'll be out. Right. The, 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 yeah. I, I'll give this. I love the guys in the band. Um, and God, the band was actually really good. This singer was god awful. It sounded like um, you know a cat getting murdered in a tub. It was just terrible. <laughs> I will send it to you. I will. It's late at night for you, so I've just got a couple of quick things to ask you about. But that moment where you choose to leave the military and you went through a lot of different things from security and the private sector and you chose all different things. If you could go back to that moment where you left the Rangers and you could now as Matt walk up, put your arms around that guy, that young Matt, to help him course correct, would you course correct him? What would you say to him, if anything? You know, I'd say to him, I would say, live your life, brother. I uh, I have no regrets, really. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've been an asshole. I've been a douchebag. I've done a lot of things. But, you know, all of those were learnings for me to better myself and to analyze myself and keep my mission forward in this world of life and being a better person. And so I don't think I'd say anything to myself. I just let, I let the course set its course because if you go back and fix every problem I went through, I wouldn't be the person I am today. You know, I, I was talking to a friend about that the other day. I got out of the military for a very emotional reason and I was ready to reenlist. So I was going to reenlist for another four years. Um, I got out in a whim, but then I look about it, right? Silver lining is I wouldn't be where I'm at today in business. I wouldn't have the influence I had. I'd probably be either dead or be, at a different unit being whatever I'm doing and not that it's a bad thing, but I'm just thankful for where I'm at today. So, um, I don't, I would just say, just be strong, keep, keep going, man, because every, every dark time you have in your life literally pays to a, a really awesome light that you have in front of you. And I'm a true believer of that, that the darkest stuff I've ever done is really transpired into the greatest things I've ever done. So, uh, I just don't like being mediocre and, uh, just, just keep going, man. Again, Pinterest quotes for days. Apparently, today. that's all I got with whiskey. <laughs> we, um, we had a guy on the show not long ago called Akshay Nanavate, and he wrote a book called Fearvana. And he was a former U.S. Marine, and he went to a super dark place. The reason I bring it up with you because he was in that dark place you just mentioned. But the other similarity that he has with you is that he saw the movie Black Hawk Down, and that movie changed the trajectory of his whole life. And that was the movie he went, and it was a scene in that movie he said, that scene, I want to do that. That's, that in a similar way is the same for you where that movie had an influence on you. What was it about Black Hawk Down for you? Was it a, a scene in it? Was there a moment? Was it the vibe of it? Well, I'd say at the current age that I was, you know, you had like Vietnam and the Gulf War, um, but there really wasn't like this massive uh, conflict, um, essentially. So like Black Hawk down was that in Somalia. And that was like an understanding of how badass people are and, you know, the book and then in the movie, you're, you're like, you're watching these guys and they're just running at gunfire and they're, they're all about supporting each other. And it was, it was just such a profound experience for me. I was like, I want that, you know, I, I, 
I've always kind of been like a little bit of an outcast and um, that, that really spoke volumes to me that I can be part of a unit and bar- be part of people better than me. And I, I just loved it. So I was like, I want to do that. I never thought I would make it. My brother told me I'd never uh, pass rip, which I probably <laughs> did just out of spite. But yeah, uh, no, I, yeah. So Eric Banner was pretty cool in that movie. Hoot. Dude, it's a great movie. Love Hoot. it. Yeah. Hoot. Hoot. You know, when I get home, people are going to say to me, Hoot, why you do it, man? Why? Uh, now, uh, Matt, do you have 90 seconds for a quick nifty 90? I got all the time for you, dude. I just poured another whiskey, so it's, awesome. it's all good. <laughs> Man. You'll, you'll, you'll have like you'll have drunk Matt on the show today. You already have that's, him a little that's bit. Going so in the promo. All day. That's going in so the promo. So do we still have time? Sure, just yeah. poured another just whiskey. Another so whiskey. as long as it takes me to drink, as long as it takes me to drink this, you've got me. Plot twist, it's already poured. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Robbers, Nifty 90. Lola, start the clock. What was the last book you read? Thank you for my service. What's your favorite swear word? Fuck. Three things you would like you take with you if your house was burning down and your pets and your family and your, your loved ones were all safe. What three things would you grab before your house burned down? Whiskey, my guitar, and <laughs> uh, my pets are out. Uh, I don't know. Fuck it, two. There you go. Two's, that's enough. All right. What's something you need to stop doing? Drinking whiskey, maybe? Yeah, probably drink a little bit less, but, you know. <laughs> if you could have a ticket, free airline ticket to anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Australia to come see you guys and drink whiskey and the person do this interview firsthand. Oh, sitting oh, on Bondi Beach, on. perhaps, Gary. Come on. Sitting Bondi on Bondi Beach. Beach. There you go. Beautiful. Okay, wherever you want. Let's do it. Uh, what's the last thing you watched on TV? Shit. Uh, I think Endgame. My wife made me watch, me watch that movie. So my wife TV. made me do it. That, that old excuse. What's three? Yeah, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't have TV. What's three words your your ranger mates would use to describe you? Fucking crazy and awesome. And three words you'd use to describe yourself? A douchebag trying to trying to get by. That's four, but we 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 work That's good. That. We'll let that go. Uh, okay, here's your big moment. What's the best short joke you can think of at short notice? My dick. <laughs> <laughs> no, the I, guys on the I, ball. Actually, no, I got one for you. So, Matt, your your house is burning down. You have run out of the house. You have a bottle of whiskey. You have your guitar. We've got an amp. You plug in. If there was a song you would play, because you've just lost everything, but your wife's safe, your pets are safe. You've just lost everything. What song would you play on your guitar? Brown paper magazine to get your mojo, get your mojo oh. back. Oh, uh, let's see. We could probably play Set Fire to the Rain or we could do <laughs> Bitch Up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You already have the guitar. You didn't even know. There you go. The guy's on it. He's got the nice. guitar there and everything. Love it. Oh, right? shit. Man, we don't need a play out song this week, Gary. Matt's booked. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What are you What are you playing? What's the guitar? It is a Yamaha. It's a piece of crap guitar. I'm at my uh, business partner's house, Jared Taylor. Uh, yep. We just got back from San Diego, so he's got a whole studio built. He's awesome house, but yeah, mate. When you come out to Australia, we'll sort you out with an with a maiden, a real Australian guitar. Okay, so am I welcome out there? Yeah, anytime, man. Anytime. Yeah, you got somewhere to stay to. Totally, and you know, I'm sure if you hit him up hard enough, Gary will even throw a few steaks on Grass-fed the barbie. Beef. Oh, he lives on a farm, after all. <laughs> 
I would love that. We've never been to Australia. I would absolutely love to go. And I know a few of the military guys out there have invited us out. So it'd be an absolute pleasure, man. I, I love it. And as long as like I can get like bug spray, because apparently you guys have bigger bugs in Texas. <laughs> and we got some nah, crazy nah, shit out here. Nah. We'll introduce you to the funnel web spider, mate. Then you'll know you're alive. Perfect. <laughs> Fuck. Matt, this has been, I knew it would be. And I said to Robbo, it's Saturday morning. Are you happy to do this at 10 o'clock on a Saturday when he's got to go to rugby? He said, is it going to be worth it? And I said, trust me. This guy would be the best, which you have been. It's been an absolute privilege. It's been an honour. It's been fun. You're a great, you're just perfect. You're, you're a perfect match for our show, mate. Well, thank you so much. I didn't know I could say fuck on this show or I would have been cussing up a storm. You can swear all you like, dude. Seriously, <laughs> we're Aussies. You won't dude, offend us. I said, I said heckin' and frickin'. I was like, man, yeah, I sound I like a bitch. I- yeah. Well, so, next time right. you know. Next, ne- when next time you're here, seriously, dude, we'll set up some beach chairs outside Luna Park under the Harbour Bridge with a six pack of beer, and we'll have our chat that way. And you can swear all you like. How's that? I love it, but my wife loves Aussie accents, so I'm not bringing her around you guys. But <laughs> you guys have been absolutely phenomenal, and thank you so much. And and dude, I gotta, I give you a huge shout out. Thank you so much for like listening to my book and having a thoughtful read. I know that you probably wrote parts down there for the interview like that that is super professional and not a lot of people do that so i hope your audience knows that you're an absolute professional and thank you so much getting your mojo working this is the mojo radio show so if you like the show and you would like to be of service to us to help the bus get the message out to more people, hit us up on Patreon, patreon.com, put in the Mojo Radio Show. You can make a contribution to keep the wheels turning. And what we want to do is run a campaign to get more people on board the bus, the big red bus we call the Mojo Radio Show, because as you can see, we have no ads, we have no sponsors. However, true transparency and honest candor, we did get a few cartons of beer from our good friends in Doseki. <laughs> And as I mentioned at the head of the show, as we say in the industry, I did get some merch for you, mate. Black Rifle Coffee merch, a big coffee mug and a trucker's cap. A trucker's cap. Cool. Got to love merch. Well, I know that Liam, your boys, Liam and Jack, actually look really good in trucker's caps. So I thought maybe you could pass it on to uh, say thank you to the boys for supporting their old band. Well, Liam's still wearing the caveman coffee cap that Tate sent us, so um, he still wears that, the big yeah, white one. Good. So, yeah, I'm sure, the, I'm sure Jack will take care of the, uh, the Black Rifle coffee one. <laughs> so, big news, Keanu Reeves fans rejoice. The actor is slated to return in The Matrix for the fourth time. Reeves will reprise his role as Neo. Production begins in 2020. The f- <laughs> I don't know how time gets away, right? The first Matrix movie has just celebrated its 20th anniversary. Wow. I wouldn't have thought that. I would have wow. gone no, I 12, would have said 10. Yeah, 10, 12. And the three films they've made so far have raked in over $1.6 billion. Wow. That's on a the lot path. Of money. <laughs> I, I'm going to make, and this is honest to God, I'm going to make a true confession. I can't stand the Matrix films. They just don't do it for me for whatever reason. I don't know why. I've watched a couple of them now, tried to get into it. All my mates go, oh, mate, they're awesome. I don't know. I I don't know what it is. I like Keanu Reeves. It's got nothing to do with the actors. Don't know. Wish I did, but I just can't do it. I'm on the same same bus. I am not a Matrix fan, but I do like John Wick's, uh, Keanu's work. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I am a Keanu fan. I love Point Break. Mm. Dude. Uh, yeah. Surfing's oh, a source, one of my man. Um, yeah. But I am on the same bus. I am not a Matrix guy. Uh, 
don't know what it is. But anyway, there you go. Got to give kudos where kudos is due, though. It's a, an amazing celluloid franchise. <laughs> The Mojo Radio so to Show. to close this week's shindig, uh, Lola, I'm here's listening. the brief. War, being of service, patriots, rangers, seals, marines, special ops, hit us up. Uh, the boss, classic. But I think it's better. Let's try again. Contemporary, not I bad. like it. I'm a Jack White fan, and I think you are. I think that actually could be the playhead song for this week because it's also the walk-up song. Because you know how all the great dart players in the world champs oh, have their walk-up. Yes. Well, that is the walk-up <laughs> song for world champion Michael Van Gerwen, and it goes, "Oh, Michael Van Gerwen, oh, Michael Van Gerwen." So, uh, do you know? Do you know what I'm actually regretting? I'm regretting building an opener that mentioned darts because it now makes you feel like every week somewhere in this show you have to mention darts. I think darts. It's seven weeks in a row we've managed to get. Yeah, you've managed to Don't squeeze it in there. Don't say this show's not creative, folks. Uh, all right, maybe we'll get that one. Uh, that that's that's an option. Lola, what else yeah. you got? No, yeah. not us. No, we all like Pat, but Negative. that's not us. No, let's go White right. Stripes. The, you've got your darts, Wish Burt Whistle.
The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time.